old guys talk metal. And sometimes punk. You're listening to the Old Guys Talk Metal and Sometimes Punk podcast. 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 Ben Moore. Sean Hart. This is Sean Hart from the Old Guys Talk Metal and Sometimes Punk podcast. You're in the hot seat, Ben. Oh. <laughs> it's not a bad place to be. To it. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> We're not afraid of you either. <laughs> So let's talk turkey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's going on? Tell us about tell us about you. We they know about us. Uh, they don't care about us anymore. They are tired of us now. Oh uh, yeah. Well, let's see. You know, I uh I live in San Diego, California, and I make records for a living. I've been doing it here for about uh, twenty five years. Nice. I'm probably twenty projects a year and some of them are pretty good. Nice. Are some of them pretty bad? <laughs> some of them some of them can use improvement, but sometimes that's what I'm there to do, you know? I do a lot of editing and, and the turd polishing process of trying to bring bands, you know, who have first-time experiences in the studio and try to make it not their not their last time in the studio, you so know? Every, every once you got to kind of polish a turd, huh? I do that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, we had a few questions for you about this very thing. And I was saying, uh, as I was just talking to Bobby here, and I'm like, I think I've known this dude for like 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember right. exactly how. And uh, and and I'm like, well, first of all, if you don't know, Ben Moore is an amazing keyboard player and organ player. I do that. And the reason why I separate those two is because I kind of think of them as two different things, organ and yeah. keyboards. I, it, and that was a duality I enjoyed for a long time in this town, especially when I first met you back in the Price of Dope days. Probably you were doing sound at like the G Lounge or something like that. Sure, or, yeah. You know, yeah, it would have been really early back then. Winston's and, maybe? And, um, yeah, Winston's most likely. Um, but yeah, man, I, I met you way, way back then. I think you were in a band with Andy Geib. Um, yeah. And, yep, and you guys had done some tracking or a live show that I mixed for you at Golden Track, I want to say, the first Golden Track studios location right i think um, it was golden track but then we bailed on that and went to a better place with you oh i think did we go to big fish after that i think we did yeah very possible um yeah man so we have known each other for yeah probably 20 some years at least so uh we wanted to talk a little i wanted to mention a couple things uh, what we were interested in talking about was studio etiquette because okay we have a yeah, radio show and we do a lot. There, there's a lot of bands we have that are new bands yeah. that we play. And, and and this this show is on FM too, right? You this, said? Yeah, this is an FM. Okay. We, we have an FM radio uh, show and then we have our podcast. Yeah. All right. So are there words that I can't say in my No, you're on the podcast. You're, you're free. You're free on <laughs> okay. this show. Yeah. All right. Good deal. All right. <laughs> okay. um, so one, one thing we wanted to mention to these up and coming bands that come in the studio that think they're hot shots or whatever, and they get in there and just tell us what you want. T- t- help me out here, Bobby, right? Tell, tell us what... I mean, how should bands come in? I mean, talk about band preparation. We're talking about how they are at a studio you know, a lot of them come well, and think they're rock gods when they're not anybody. And, you know, tell me a little bit about studio life. I don't, yeah, man, I don't find that to be the case. I think uh, the less studio experience you have, the more anxiety people kind of walk in to um, if they're not familiar with the process. So on those bands, it's like, I'll go out of my way, even if it's just a simple engineering gig, you know, where they're, you know, they, they, hey, we just need to come in and, 
do exactly what we do on stage in the studio for something. It's like, sure. even if, if it's as simple as that kind of gig, then I will go hang out with them at the rehearsal pad and have lengthy discussions with every single band member about equipment, about how things are going to go throughout the day. And I even try to get things settled as far as, you know, details of like, hey, uh, is there, you know, does anybody not eat meat? You know, it's like when we take a food break, you know, do we need to coordinate something special? I mean, anything you can do to, to lessen the anxiety and mystery about your first day in the studio is going to make it a better experience and make it less stressful. And if you're not stressed out, you're going to perform better and walk away with something that's much happier. So your, pre, your pre-production goes beyond equipment into the personal level. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this is something that, I, that I've learned to do after just seeing it fail so many times. You know, right. My, and, and, and it's for me, too. You know, it's, it's like if I you don't, don't want it to fail. I'm, yeah, exactly. If, if I don't know what I'm getting into when I walk into the studio door, if I've never met the band, if I've never seen them play, if I don't know anything about the ability levels and stuff like that, it's like I don't know where to push them to improve. You know, my entire thing of, of trying to, to, to instill some high level of quality control, you know, to, to let the band walk out with something that they're proud of, um, that, that's much harder to do if I don't know what I'm getting into as well. So, you know, even if it's something I don't get paid for, you know, I'll, maybe I'll make them buy me lunch or something like that. It's like, hey, let me come hang out with you guys and I want to see what this is about. If, if, even if there's no agreement for any kind of pre-production budget or something like that, I consider it a good investment of my time to walk in and know what I'm getting myself into. So do you ever come across a band? I'm sure you have saying, listen, I know you want to be in the studio, but you're not ready yet. You're not at that level uh, yet. You know, there that's a hard place to be because to be honest with you, it's like... Ben, we want to hear band. some juicy stories. Oh. <laughs> Dude, let me finish this one here. Okay. So... That's a hard one because a lot of the bands that I that I work with that have no studio experience, you know, um, just by meeting with them and working out details in advance, they're they're taking a leap forward into being prepared for that session. And the, the people I work with most, you know, and and I'm kind of known for this to some extent. It's like I I've made drummers cry in the studio before. I'm really hard on drummers. Wow. And the reason I yeah I'm, I'm the reason I'm so hard on drummers and, and most people that I work with will agree with me. I'm definitely hard on drummers. Um, is because it says everything about the recording. If your drum sounds suck, if the drums aren't played well, then there's nothing you could do to make the rest of the recording sound great. Nothing you could right? do. No amount of editing is going to help you. You could, have, you could have the greatest guitar sounds and the greatest singer in the world, yeah. but if your drum tracks suck, you know, um, then nothing is going to sound good. Right. You're absolutely right. And I think the drumming is the heart and soul of any recording. In pretty much any band. I and mean, you can't fix the feel of the drums in, in the mix. You can't yeah. fix it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can you can fix it by the minutia of technology and really doing, you know, individual hit analysis. And sure. Of course. Stuff, Everybody which knows unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, I have to do it from time to time. You know, I'm it not does happen. Say, it's not fun, but it will be the life and death of a, of a project on occasion. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad I've taken the time to, to learn how to do that. Um, I would much rather come in with a band that's well rehearsed and right off tour and, and happy and excited to be there, you know, and, and, and have a good fun day. Um, if that's not an option, if the band that, you know, needs a little extra work, then there are things we can do in pre-production, things that can do with technology to make sure that they walk away with something that they're happy with. My, my end result that I'm shooting for with any project is I want the band to take a year to catch up to the quality of performance in the recording. That's always the goal that I set for huh. myself. If you walk out with something that's exactly as good as you are that day, 
three months from now, you're not going to have any connection to that recording. You're not going to want a tour to support it. It's about looking ahead and trying to provide something for, you know, for the band that they need to catch up to, that they feel like the pressure is there, that they need to practice to be as good as the recording. Wow, that's cool. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, but so on that note, tell me some of the bands that you really enjoyed recording with, working with, some of your favorite bands you worked with. Of all time, uh, yeah. We know time. we know this is a metal show, but it doesn't have to be metal. Well, we yeah, prefer yeah. it to uh, be. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the nicest guys are are the Switchfoot dudes. Those dudes are just all Switchfoot individual people. Yeah, those guys are just nice people to work with. And, okay, um, I worked on probably three of their records uh, back when they were on Sony. Um, super nice guys, you know, and and good players. Uh, that that was always fun. Um, Hot Snakes, any of the John Reese bands are fun because John is just a fun guy to work with. Hot you know? Snakes, and right. Hot, Hot Snakes, Rocker from the Crypt, these are all dudes who have toured professionally, seen the world, played music, you know, for a living for a long time. And so they walk in with the attitude of, of this is, you know, this recording is everything. Let's take it seriously and and uh, let's do something that we're proud of. I had, the, I had the pleasure of working with Rocket from the Crypt once too and the guy was right on point. Like he knew exactly yes. what he wanted. The, the, yeah. I didn't even need to be there. You know what I mean? He's just, he's just like, look out, get out of my way. I got this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so bands like that, you know, any of the touring professional bands, it's like bands that work that hard and get that good at what they do. Um, they, they earn, you know, the opportunity to be a professional touring band. You know, that's right. something you've got to work for. Right. I used um, to say, if you can't put out your own flyers, you don't belong on stage. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it takes that type of dedication and work. You need to believe in yourself. You need to be good enough at what you do. Um, and most importantly, you know, and this is something that comes from the recording side of it a lot, you know, the standards that we set in the studio, you need to present something that's interesting and discerning. It's like, if you sound exactly like this other band that has hits right now, guess what? You know, six months from now, you've got nothing. So it's always about trying to find something that's unique about the band and, and putting that face, you know, as, as far forward as you can. Okay, so, that so 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 now we've heard Ben Moore, the the uh, Grammy Award winning studio engineer, <laughs> telling us how it. Tell us some juicy dirt, man. Tell it. Give us some. Uh, give us some funny rock god stories. Give us okay. some fails. I, us. I really, I've got. I really because you know you got one. him, buddy. You know you got him. I. Uh, yeah, I've got one good one. Okay. Um, and that's a, it's a Dave Mustaine story. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and this was told to me firsthand by somebody who was actually at the studio. Um, All right. There was, you know, he was, uh, he was walking to uh, Big Fish for a series of weeks making a record. Right. Um, and now, now, just so if you know, if you don't know that Big Fish is a, is a recording studio in Southern California. Yeah, it's a north. It's kind of northern San Diego. It's kind of a resort style studio. Um, it was built by the same guy that built uh, Paisley Park for Prince. It's a very high end resort studio up there. Um, and, was the guy uh, in Firefall was, or something like that? No, he had a one deal, one record deal with Casablanca. And, right. Uh, Casablanca, who did Kiss and Funkadelic. Yeah, and, yeah, Kiss right. was on that label. Parliament and Donna Funkadelic, Summer. right? Donna Summer. Yes. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the studio up there, there is a lounge area that has a sliding glass door out to um, an outside kind of uh, hangout area. There's some outdoor, you know, like patio furniture and stuff like that and ping pong table. Right. Um, so the owner of the studio was out there, you know, with his daughter you know, playing ping pong and um, his, his phone rang. And uh, right inside the, the, the sliding glass window, 
uh, is a couch in, in an indoor lounge area, you know, with a fax machine, computer, and stereo, just kind of extra hangout space for musicians. Sure. Um, apparently what happened was that uh, the owner of the studio and his daughter playing ping pong was too loud for Dave Mustaine. So Dave Mustaine called his manager in New York and had his manager in New York call the owner of the studio, who was about 15 feet away from him, through the sliding glass window nice. and asked him to, to not play ping pong anymore. Nice. <laughs> this this dovetails nicely to the next guest we're having, actually. Yes, I mean, I, I, his handler. You have to talk to yeah, his handler. Yeah. Talk to I don't. I don't understand <laughs> that, man. I mean, nice. This dovetails nicely into our Elton John story coming up in the next segment. This is I, great. It is so weird because Dave Dave Mustaine, of course, from Megadeth, right? And and from Phoenix, Dave Ellison lives here in Phoenix. Okay, and I talk to that guy all the time. Right. He has no yeah. attitude. It's weird. It's just like, you know, he's just a nice guy. Right. I don't understand the prima donna thing. I don't get it. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a rock star. Maybe I don't know. I had a story, weird story like that about, about uh, J-Lo. Oh no. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm doing monitors. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mark Anthony, you know, it, it was her husband at the time. I don't know if they're still married or whatever. Not anymore, I have no. no idea. No. Whatever. It didn't matter. Mirror and A-Rod now. Right. It was the three... Big Hispanic singer guys day, and and um, three Hispanic singers guys day. Yeah, that's what I called that it. Narrows it anyway, down. So, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking this, about? I was doing it was like a sound image gig. I was doing monitors. Okay, so uh, the, the guy comes out and he's like, um, their stage manager comes out and he's like, he's like, do not make do not make eye contact with the talent. And I'm like, who are you, who are you talking about? He, he says, what? He says, he says. She's to be referred to as Jennifer, not J-Lo. And I'm like, what the hell is this guy talking about? You know what I mean? And I start to realize that he's talking about J-Lo, who's not even supposed to be on stage that night, but is going to do a little cameo in the middle of the Mark Anthony show. So I'm like, so she comes out to do her, her in-ear monitor mix, right? Yeah. How the hell am I supposed to do monitors for you if I can't even, I can't even look at you? I can't talk to you. I can't make eye contact with you. If I want to talk to J-Lo, I got to talk to her handler. Is it loud enough in your monitor, Ms. Jennifer? Or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, are you kidding me? How do you get through life like that? Apparently they do. They make a lot of money doing it. Hey, quit playing ping pong, kid. You got to call, yeah, exactly. call your boss in New York? Oh, my. How, 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 loud, how loud could ping pong playing be? I mean, come on, man. Was yeah, he, there, was other, there was other funny stuff where, like, he, was, he would print out lyrics and make sure there was only one copy of it, and then he would erase the document from the computer and throw it in the trash and empty the trash because he didn't want anybody to see his lyrics. And and there were yeah, there was some funny stuff. Also, there was a thing where he was singing with um, some vo vocal coach had taught him the use of, of something to, to lubricate his voice or something like that. And so we we would set up a vocal mic on top of a plastic tarp, and he would sit there and continuously eat uh, lays potato chips while he was singing really yeah and it, and basically in the process of singing he would have these in his mouth and so they would just get fit all over the place in the studio we had to actually put a plastic tarp down plain yellow lays plain yellow lays. Yeah. yeah plain flat yeah yeah that's so not that, that was part of it apparently that's part of his singing style or something that he had he had learned from a vocal coach you know for him to be able to, to yell and and not lose his voice but 
um, yeah, the end result is that we had to be careful about what mics we set up, and then there was a plastic carpet. I was going to say, we might want to edit this out because we don't want other people to try this at home. That's, that sounds like a disaster. <laughs> it doesn't seem very metal to me, you know what I'm saying? It's not very metal to me. It's my $1,400 yeah. mic. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Right? I actually think I think barbecue chips would be more metal. But, and it's you know. so, right? Yeah. And it's so weird because he, could, he does all this stuff with the vocal coach and Frito-Lays. Where the hell he's eating. And we yeah. have we have a we talked about Ronnie James Dio earlier, yeah, earlier oh, the day, and Dio never never warmed up ever. He had yeah, his glass of wine guy, and a doobie, and he was good to go. You know? That guy was a freak of nature, and uh, yeah. I learned about Dio records from this weird family that lived across the street from me when I was a kid at the cul-de-sac. Nice, um, do and, tell, do tell. Uh, yeah, and and the, the, there was a couple of kids in the family that were uh, a little bit older than us, and they would just blast Dio records and Y&T and some really terrible metal from that era all day long, right? Yeah, right, Y&T. So, like, I learned a lot about Dio, man. Even as a kid, I just thought that guy had the most amazing voice. That dude was just always on and just this powerful thing. And then you find out he's, like, what, four and a half feet tall? Just little yeah, guy, right. Right? Yeah. yeah. Totally. And yeah. Speaking of, he was never prima donna. You always came over, shook my hand, shook your, everybody's <laughs> hand. He never oh, did had. Did you work with him? Oh, I, that's cool. I did have time to sp- I spent a couple months with Dio in the Sacred Heart tour. I was there for oh. two weeks at the Heaven and Hell rehearsal. Mm-hmm. It's at the <laughs> at the San Diego or whatever it was called. Coors I mean, this, th- this guy called yeah. me on the phone and wished me happy birthday. Who remembers a birthday, man? Oh, Why would Dio? So re- right. It's crazy. And then you get like people like other people that are prima donnas. You got to talk to their handler. Dio would talk, you to, talk to their handler. Dio, yeah. When I first met Dio, he went and got me a beer backstage. He got me a beer. How, how crazy <laughs> is that? Yeah. This is we're talking about a guy from Rainbow Black Sabbath. You know, he's a legend. Yeah. You got to give me no well. damn beer, but he did. So we're gonna throw this out there. Uh, so so Ben Moore. Is it going to be yeah. Ozzy or Dio? Yeah, what's your choice? Oh, as a favorite? Yeah. Yep. Oh, Dio, for sure. Dio. Hey, hey look, we got to go into the Dio category. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, man. Why? I don't why know. Ask Ozzy why? Made some, why ask Ozzy why? Made more bad records than Dio did. Okay. But, did you hear that? But Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, and Mob Rules. Man, that, those are all amazing albums. And, you know, to be honest with you... He couldn't even make records like that afterwards, you know? No. I right. mean, Dio right. has less to apologize about, I think, in the 1980s than Wow. Than does. Dio has I mean, less to apologize out. Look than who Dio, Dio worked with Richie Blackmore, Tony Iommi, Vivian <laughs> Campbell. Those you are know. great guitar players, all yeah, of them. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, And we're talking you know, a legendary well, it's, it's, it's Okay, so here's my thought on it, right? Because we've been arguing about this for like, what a year and a half? Yeah, two, Here's my <laughs> probably two years. <laughs> going on two years now. It's never going to stop. Yeah. Here's my thought. Okay, uh, just you know, being a stoner or whatever, you can never replace early Sabbath Ozzy and no, and the are, feeling that you got are, listening to that. Right? They're annoyed. Are right? Masters yeah, reality. Yeah. There's something about that that it's magical, right? But then, but yeah. there's no way that anybody yeah. can compare to Dio. As a singer in Rainbow, uh-huh. in right. in Sabbath, and in Dio, and mm-hmm. beyond. I mean, Man on the Silver Mountain. The guy is just. I mean, he's just his star stargazer, dude. I mean, he's just an amazing singer. The Ozzy had, never would be that good. But then you have Ozzy, Blizzard of Oz, and Diver of Madman. Then you have Dio, Holy Diver, and Last in Line. Yeah, but Ozzy's voice yeah. is nowhere near as good as Dio's. No, it's not. Of course not. Ever. And you know what? Rodney James Dio never did a duet 
with Lita Ford. No. <laughs> yes. Yes. And if you remember, do you remember, remember the whole We Are The World thing? Yeah, I do. Remember that? Uh, the band, the Band-Aid thing, and they left the metal heads out. I am. Of course I remember. So Dio goes out and creates a hearing aid, right? All these metal yeah, heads say, aid. we care too about people starving in the world. We're going to do it. Only Dio could bring all these people. When Ronnie James Dio calls me on the phone, man, you show up at the studio. You fucking show up. You fucking done. show up at the studio. <laughs> RJD calls you. You're definitely there. You're like, wait a minute. I mean, come on. You think you're getting crank calls, man. It, no, yeah. it's Dio, man. Right. You that. think you're getting a crank Absolutely. call. Absolutely. And yeah, he didn't. <laughs> But also, he never did a duet either. I'm bringing this up now. He just did a duet, Ozzy and Post Malone. What do you, okay. Post Malone and Ozzy, man, come oh, on. No, no, don't. Yeah, he don't, did. No, don't. On his new album. Stop me. Somebody stop it. So Somebody stop on. Post Malone. Ronnie rolled over. Yeah. Postpone Ronnie Malone. Ronnie rolled over in his grave, man. Postpone him. Yeah, postpone okay. him. <laughs> uh, ben Moore, what do you think of the hologram shows? Uh, I don't know, man. I, I haven't seen one. Okay. Oh, I did. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because this mean, is a thing. Look, they're touring right now. David Bowie as Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, the Ziggy Stardust band. Right. They're touring. They're touring the Dio, the Dio yeah. hologram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Soon more will I, come. Frank Zappa yep. will be coming. So mm -hmm. will so will uh, uh, Whitney Houston is touring as a hologram. Yep. Yep. So just. So I'm guessing they have a ghost singer. No, there's no ghost singer. I'm not. I'm not well, I don't mean well, it that with, way. With, but the, <laughs> with the Dio show, they sort of had a double entendre, I guess. With the yeah. Dio show, they did Dio part. Dio, his vocals coming over, and then right. they had Tim the Ripper Owens doing the rest of the songs. Right. Okay. It was Dio's band. Okay. So it's his final band he played. So with. it wasn't Tim the Ripper Owens singing backstage for the no, hologram. He was singing like mob rules in front of the crowds. They, they switched out between the hologram and a real singer. You know what I'm saying. Huh. So, I mean, that's how it works. So this is going to be well, a thing. Yeah. It, it is going to be a thing. And I, I will admit to actually being in the backup band uh, probably eight years ago, I want to say, for uh, an early experiment with this technology. Um, it was myself and uh, Nucci, Brian Cantrell. Nice, Nucci. I love Nucci. Locals. Um, it was a uh, uh, Jacob's Family or mitzvah for one of the kids uh, from Qualcomm family. Oh, Qualcomm and, family, right? Copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and don't understand the had, power of Qualcomm unless you live in San Diego. I love yeah, a good, yeah exactly. but I, <laughs> I love a good bar mitzvah. So yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah, but if you live in San Diego, well, you understand if Qualcomm one, says do something, you do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This and their theater. Size, this was an indoor uh, party, private party, invitation only, um, thrown by the family. Uh, they had to get permission from Fox and specifically, you know, uh, the evil empire of Fox for the use of, of the Simpsons characters. But right. they built a, a life-size set of the entire city of Springfield indoors um, in a massive place. It must have been half the size of a football field indoor warehouse where wow. from ground ground, they, they built the entire thing. You could walk into both tavern and, and order a drink. It was the, the entire set of Springfield um, that was put together for this one night party for, for the family and friends. Was it all a hologram? Um, it, and we were part of the backup band uh, for, uh, it was a Michael Jackson hologram. Um, oh my God. And it was on stage. And so we were on stage and in front of us, you know, because of the glass panes and stuff like that, there was an image of Michael Jackson singing through all these songs. And we played live to uh, to a click track to be in sync with, with, the, with the vocal tracks. And uh, we played, I think, probably 45 minutes, 
worth of music or something like that to a Michael Jackson hologram. Genius. Yeah. It was, and this was eight years ago. So, you know, the technology, I think, back then was experimental. Um, I remember there's a team probably of 20 people backstage, you know, uh, running the running running the show of just the, the hologram technology. I think it's like a that. German company that's doing it now. Isn't it the German comp- a German company that's touring this stuff? But, well, uh, the, yeah. the other deal with this also, you know, is the, the intellectual property. It's not about the, the music. Sure. One company will own the music. And then, you know, if the artist is dead, like Elvis or Michael Jackson or something that, like that, you need to license, you know, the actual, you know, person, the, the actual image of the person. It's a whole separate set of intellectual property rights right. in the music, right? Yeah. So this seems to me like a very expensive and very complicated thing to work out, you know, not including the technology and trying to make that seamless from, from all the audience perspective. Right. But then, but then, it's, but then it's, it's Bowie. And the spiders from Mars. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's so like, you know. <laughs> that's, okay, so so the taste the taste thing is a whole separate thing. You know, it's like I, I I don't think I would ever pay to see, you know, like a David Bowie hologram on stage, you know, and see, you know, dead Mick Mick Monson and dead Bowie, right. you know, right. from footage restored and animated by computers. That to me doesn't feel like a real show. There's no interact interaction there. There's no you know, feedback of energy between performer and audience. It seems to me like you're watching, you know, a, like a high tech movie of some kind. You know? Right. Well, that's kind of, so, that's, uh, we've been me, saying that about craft work for the last 20 years, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Are they really playing or not? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so there's so that. I, I, it's like, I, I, I understand it's appeal simply in the new technology thing of like, Hey, look, we could do holograms now. Isn't this cool? But as far as entertainment value, it's like, I, I don't think I'm going to, I would get any more out of that from experience than, than just watching, um, than watching a show like watching a movie of, of a concert and turning it up really loud. I mean, the deal hologram first appeared at walk open air, walking, walking festival. Um, and there was, it wasn't a sold out show when I saw it here in Arizona and I don't know how well it did, but Wendy Deal put it on, she endorsed it and yeah. it's just basically a tribute to Ronnie. I don't think they'll continue with it. I don't think they will. I don't know. I mean, what I was gonna- excited I- though. When I saw that, when I saw that deal was coming to the Phoenix symphony hall, <laughs> you got excited. I had about to pull it. over. Well, the virtual, Ron- yeah. the virtual deal. <laughs> and so take a picture. <laughs> okay. So here's another, here's another question. We'll throw another question at you. Bon Scott or Brian Johnson? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I, I you know, if if I go back in, in in my head when I was a little kid, like I said, the same family across the street was always blasting old metal records, you know, type of thing. Back sure. when they were new, I think that was right. probably um, me. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I have an attachment to the Bon Scott stuff. Um, simply because I feel like creatively that is what, you know, that is the sound that ACDC created in rock. And, sure. uh, you know, the, what they did later with, with, uh, you know, back in black and stuff like that, when they, when they, you know, matured into that place, it was great, you know, but I don't think it had quite the, the oh, creative. Oh, come on, man. Whole lot of Rosie. Shot down in flames. Shot down in yeah. flames. Big balls. <laughs> yeah. Dirty deeds. Yeah, and that's something I, I feel like, you know, the later ACDC stuff, it kind of lost its sense of humor. 
You know, there was something that kind of left. It got you know really what? He's curious. absolutely right. Nobody ever mentions the sense of humor. Bond was a funny dude. You know, he was he was he was a character around Bond. This is another thing we've been arguing about yeah. for like a, a year and a half. You know, damn well they pulled Bond Scott <laughs> out of the out of the out of the bar. Can you sing? Yeah, sure. Why not? And, <laughs> and we had a, we had this debate the other day too. Sean thinks Brian Johnson will kick your ass worse than Bon Scott. <laughs> it's because he has a white beard on and that little hat he wears. I think that when I look at Brian Johnson, I think that he would be able to kick my ass if I just had to you suss him up bon real quick. Scott would, you don't think Bon Scott fought in the bars? Come on, man. Bon's missing teeth. I feel like I could kick Bon Scott's ass, but I feel like... <laughs> what do you think, I feel Ben? Like Brian Johnson who, would fucking you, lay me out. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think, Ben? Who do you think would whip your ass worse? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I think uh, I think I, if you were at bl- I think if you were drunk at Blind Melons and PB, I, all I know you- is I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty sure I could take Angus. I get pretty sure I could take Angus down. And you went to go out. You went outside because some guy called you a pussy or something, and, and you went out there and it was Bond Scott. That you might be able to kick his ass, but I think if it was Brian Johnson, I think he would fucking beat your ass. Bond Scott would beat your ass in bell bottoms. Be yeah, that's it. funny. With his hat on. Brian Johnson and his wife Peter. But Bon Scott wore bell bottoms. He wore them well. He'd beat your ass. He did. He would. I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, it's so he would be a dirty fighter. He would be more would. of a dirty fighter. So I'm in the I'm in the Bon Scott camp anyway. I think the Bon Scott era <laughs> ACDC was more was really important. Regardless of back in black or if it was about the rock, we salute you. Bon Those Scott are, was yeah. the, Bon Scott is hands down was great. But dude. For those about to rock, we salute you. I mean, come on. It doesn't get any more yeah. metal or always, rock than that. It doesn't get any more hard rock than that. He always brings that up. I, don't know I do. If Think about Back in Black. Come on. What the fuck? Come on, Ben. Let no, there be rock. It. Let there be rock. Dude, you hear Back yeah. in Black is one of the if hardest want, rock songs ever. If you want blood, you got it. Yeah, I'm not saying anything <laughs> about that. I'm just saying, All right. back in black. Let's move on. Just then. think about let's it. Move it's on huge. Then. It's freaking huge. <laughs> let's talk about Ma- let's, let's talk about a little band called Iron Maiden. Okay. Paul Diano to- or Bruce oh, Dickinson? God. Really, we have to go back to uh, Maiden again. It's always Maiden yeah, with this okay. guy. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Dickinson for sure, and the last listenable Iron Maiden record was Power Slave. Oh, yes. Thank you. I think so, when, too. I mean, they went synth guitars and what, Summer in Time? Uh, no? yeah, I, as soon as they, I'm a keyboard player, and as soon as that stuff started happening in the Iron Maiden, I, I completely lost interest in it. Sure. Just lost all but the this was during all that, overnight, I felt yeah, like. Was right. it kind of during the glam time? Because then he had Judas Priest doing Turbo as well with the synth guitars as well. Yeah. Judas Priest, Turbo yeah. Lover. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's 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 think about that for a minute. But Power Slave, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yeah. One of the greatest metal songs ever written. 22 minutes of pure bliss. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's, I, it's I, wanted, amazing, yeah. I wanted to ask you one more question. Um the age-old question, is Hammond B3 really the best backup rock guitar? <laughs> is it better? Look, because there's a lot of people who say, look, the best bass players are actually organ players with their foot. With their foot. I, yeah, some of those guys. So, uh, yeah, all right. So as an organ player, it's like I always admired those dudes, but because I always played with guitar players and there was always bass players, I never learned to do the, the kicking bass jazz thing. Right. Um, and I've seen people later on in life get it like pretty decent at it. Like Robert Walter from uh, yes, Playboy All-Star. Robert didn't Walter. start off playing that stuff. Um, but now he, do, he does it pretty well. And there's other dudes um, in, in, that, I, that I've seen and who do that just, just incredibly well. Right. Um, but like I said, it's like I've always had to have one hand on my Hammond and the other hand on some other keyboard. And 
and there's always been bass players around, so I just never learned to so, do so you, that. So you're you're more of you're more of like a guy that's playing pads with the organ and doing yeah. some rhythm on the bottom, maybe just slapping right. it, maybe yeah, just slapping the, the thing. And some of the more jet, you know, borderline jazz and funk stuff, you know, that like it, it both hands on the Hammond all the time, you know. But there's always been a bass player. There's always been somebody kind of holding down that fort. Okay, um, so creatively. Go ahead. Creatively, I, I prefer that, too, just because I think bass players can do so many wonderful things. Okay, well, what about John Lord? I knew this was coming. Yeah. John Lord has his own shtick, man. I mean, that that dude, um, and, and it's funny. that I, I feel like for a long time, every time I'd bring a Hammond organ to a show and play a show, there'd be some dude a couple of years older who would come and say, man, you really need Deep Purple? I'm like, oh, yeah, they're cool, but not really my organ style i like the music but it's like i didn't really ever learn to play organ like that um, right and he had some, he had some fantastic things about you know running his organ through martial amps and like all this really kind of non-organ gear to get these tones but that was also at a time you know where keyboards and, and progressive music back in the day were expanding into synthesizers and and all this other technology was brand new you know so i, I think given the, the time and place he did some incredible creative things but as far as playing style i wouldn't really consider him like one of my organ playing influences sure okay fair enough you get out of that one we'll let you off on that one who let yeah. you off but i won't well, i'll and, let you off and, uh, <laughs> I'll, and i'll back up a few years until basically i was you know before i was born um my dad was david cassidy's organ player at the height of his career what back in the yeah back in the late 60s he was actually on tour with david cassidy um, when there was that famous incident in Europe where uh, the the audience freaked out, um, 1974 it was, yeah, when the audience freaked out and and like, crushed like 800 people at the front of the stage, Holy you know, shit. and some girl some girl died. Yeah, my dad wow. was in the stage band, you know, with David Cassidy at that time. Um, he told me stories about them all waiting in the hospital to see if she was going to make it. And stuff. A really really sad early rock and roll you know festival tragedy. But yeah, my dad was an organ player for David Cassidy. Uh, did that. Um, he was also a singer of the Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour with with uh, Joe Cocker. No way! For that, and yeah. So yeah, my no, dad wrote. I, my I'm dad a, wrote "Space I, Captain" on that album. He um, did. Which is, yeah, which has been covered by Herbie Hancock, Black Crows, Barbara Streisand, all the versions of that song. Wow, That's Mad incredible. Dogs and Englishmen. It doesn't get any better than that. That's like Leon Russell. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Leon Russell and um, yeah, just the just a total all star band. Pretty, wow. pretty incredible group of dudes. Okay, so now David Cassidy, let me get this straight. R- remind us who David Cassidy is so the audience knows. David Cassidy was a uh, was like a teenage star in the days of, what was it, a Partridge Family? Was that the Correct. show? The Partridge Family is. Yeah, and then uh, what years was that on? That was on... God, it had I'm to have been like 64 through, 60, through 72. Okay, I'm in front of my computer. It says uh, 70 to 74. 70 to 74. I was awful. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, yeah, my dad was an organ player for him, went on that tour, um, did a lot of songwriting. When when I was a kid, his job was basically a contract songwriter. So he was home all the time and he would send off demo tapes that he recorded in the house and he would get uh, a salary in the mail for writing songs. That business does not exist anymore. I was going to say, boy, those yeah. were the days. Those were the yeah. <laughs> I didn't know those days, but I guess they were the days. <laughs> so I didn't even know you could get that gig. That's yeah, incredible. Right. We're still trying to get that gig. <laughs> <laughs> so tell. Speaking of well, older stuff, we talked about, but let's talk about newer stuff. Any bands out there that really 
they really get you going. They really are seeing, like, really have turned you on. Like, man, this is a good. Or, band. or anything you hear production wise that blows you away and say to yourself, "How the hell did man, they do I've, that?" I've got a complicated relationship with Tame Impala right now because I so love the early fuzz, you know, fuzzed out primitive stuff that they were doing, and then um, I, I connected to the previous album, uh, uh, Currents, I think it was. A couple of those songs really kicked my ass, you know. So. I, I have this funny relationship with them where, like, I really like the opposite ends of it. And um, I, I don't know. I haven't heard of the new album. They just put a new record out this year that I haven't checked out yet. Um, that's a, that's an interesting phenomenon. Because that dude's so, voice is so perfect for that, you know, whole kind of psych thing, you know? He's just sure. Kind of built, built for that. Uh, what else am I listening to? Um, I'm listening to a lot right now. Right now, I have this thing where like because i work on music all day long that you listen to I'm talk driving, radio instead yeah i listen to audiobooks typically when i'm that's in what car, i do you know? that's absolutely what i do too <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat I, I can't listen to music in the car i listen to black yeah. me- i listen to black metal yeah <laughs> good for you good that's for great you. in traffic i'm sure that's right i, I mean i i'll i'll listen to right wing talk radio before i listen to music in the radio just to see how the other <laughs> side thinks you know what i mean yeah, just you want to feel smart today. I'm gonna to turn on the station. No, no, I just I'll listen just to see where they're going. You know what I mean? You never know. I just want to see. <laughs> I just listen to see how the, how it flows. So, so what's your what's your go to musician or band that you love the most? Like when you really need some music, you really want to rock out and get crazy. What do you put on? Uh, I if I'm cleaning up stuff in the studio by myself and there's no one else in the building, oh. I'm usually cranking up um, some kind of playlist of Sly and the Family Stone okay. or. Uh, Meters, uh, James Brown, of course. James Brown, you know, always. yeah, always. Um, any of that stuff. Power, uh, you play Power Slave at all? <laughs> yeah. what, what, Man, what kind of question is I that? Have not, <laughs> I have not rocked the Power Slave in a long time, and you know what? That that is well overdue for sure. Right. That is. I I remember just in you know for, I've had I have this muscle memory in my head of basically every note of that record I can play back from beginning to end. Right. You know I I really knew that album well. And I was, when I was young. Two okay. minutes to midnight. So we're gonna I'm gonna throw out there just listen to some old Judas Priest one day just for the hell of it. Yeah. Yeah. And Staying if you haven't yeah. heard Ginger with a J, you might want to check that out. J and J E R, Ginger from Ukraine. From Ukraine. Yep, okay, from the cool. Ukraine. So Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah. I'm so bubbling. Ben Moore from Ben Moore Music. That's tell right. The, tell the world. Tell everybody where they can find you. How they can come get in touch on you. How can they come record with you? Tell them. Right. Uh, my my only real place that I'm active online is Facebook. I don't really have my own website or anything like that, but okay. I'm easy to find. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook or uh, Instagram, all over the place. Um, oftentimes talking about uh, tape machine restoration, music engineering, recording, production, all that type of stuff. Yep. Um, go back in the studio sometime soon with the Hot Snakes, make another record for Sub Pop. Cool. Uh, a couple singer songwriters I'm working with, and lots, lots going on, man. I can't, I can't complain. I spend most of the time, you know, in quarantine mixing records in my home office, and and uh, when things start opening up here, my my calendar's getting complicated. So it's Ben Moore with an E, M O O R E. M O O R E. That's right. Grammy award winning. Ben Moore, check him out on Facebook, people. <laughs> Not yet. I've, He's I've got a lot, a lot of insights. Records, but, yeah. Not Grammy Award I, winning. Oh, I am that's now, a shame. Man. I thought that the, I, I thought now. the Ravi Shankar one was a, uh, or his daughter, right? Wasn't it his daughter that you did? Uh, his, 
his daughter uh, has been nominated a couple times, but I don't think she's won anything. I stand and corrected. Even, yeah, and even then, you know, the engineering awards are separate from the artist awards and all that. Kind of oh stuff. God, whatever. I know it's complicated. I know some really, really terrible engineers in this business who've got Grammys, and so I don't feel bad for not having one. Nice. Don't worry. It's like being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? Everybody knows knows that we have a beef with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Grammys. Yeah. We talk about it all the time. And everybody knows Robert Walters should have a Grammy by now. That's right. Yeah. Come on. This is true. And our main interest priest should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Come on. Come on. Uh Come on now. Come on, people. Come on, people. How was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame done with some of those metal bands? I mean, <laughs> been... Jethro Tull? Jethro Blue, right? Tull won a Grammy over Metallica. Really? Jethro Tull over won Metallica. the very first metal Grammy went to Jethro Tull. Metal. They beat Metallica's uh, one out for the win the Grammy. Jethro Tull gets the metal Grammy. That's... Yep. Or yep. The, the, the rock, yeah, come on, people. Yeah. And they let the Notorious B.I.G. in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but they, they snubbed Judas Priest for a second year. How about that? Ah. How about that, man? We don't want to get him started on this. Um, I'm going to get started. I'm going yeah, on for hours about this. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. thank you, Ben, so much for being on the Old Guys Talk Metal Sometimes Punk podcast. We look forward to talking to you soon. We know you're going to be well, super thank you busy. Very much. Yeah, man. Thank you very much for having me. You know, it, it's not my first inclination to wake up in the day and have a beer and talk about myself for 40 minutes, but I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> well, the reason why we do this on the podcast is that we want young cats that are out there listening to our show to understand what it's like to be the studio guy that you end yeah. up having to interface with at some point and what they're going to expect of you and yeah. uh, and what's important before you start spending your hard-earned dollars in the studio yeah, trying like, to be a rock star. You write the tunes yeah. and then like, now what? Well, we're now telling what? you now what. Right. Okay? Yeah. If you Everybody's... haven't got the end of the song done, you can't start the beginning of it. <laughs> That's right. Good point. That's true. Well, we'll, we'll let you get guys. on with your day and thank you so much for being on again. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. I think you guys do a wonderful, wonderful thing. I do appreciate it. 